1: Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host Manuel Veth and as always I'm joined by Andrew Flint and I think Andrew you are back from your travels aren't you? You're back in Siberia, back in Mother Russia, Um, busy days in in Moscow all over.
2: (laughs) Yeah I'm I'm definitely back in Siberia because it's now snowing. Winter has already arrived here at the beginning of October so um, yeah it's a well, it's it's okay for now, but the next six months will be quite cold, so I'm um, looking forward to podcasting more than being outside, if I'm honest.
1: Yeah, uh, it's cool getting cold here too today. It was my first bike ride where there wasn't a two in front of the zero, and I mean plus 20, not minus Andrew, <laughs> so I'm not going to feel <laughs> sorry for you, and <laughs> Tim knows exactly what I'm talking about, right, Tim? It's beautiful here on the West Coast, isn't it? It's October and it's still summer.
3: Exactly. It has been so amazing. I wore shorts today. <laughs> oh, <how are> you? <laughs> sorry, Andrew. We're sorry.
1: <laughs> we do actually live in Canada. It's supposed to be cold here, but hey, it's the California of Canada, isn't it?
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. So, Tim, all good with you. You probably had a few busy days as well. Um, enjoyed the football over the weekend.
3: Exactly, yeah, I did. Well, for me, obviously, mostly was the Spartak's game and uh, it was a great game. So I'm actually, uh, first time in a while, in a very exciting mood.
1: Uh, that's what I like to hear. That means if if you had a great time, Andrew didn't, and uh, we'll get into that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right, thanks again, Tim. Cheers.
1: <laughs> first, we'll talk, talk about the weather and then about the football. and You know, we'll, we'll get onto to all of this you know, in, in due time, in due time. But, um, someone will, or a team that's having a much better, uh, week coming up, I think is Russia. And, um, that's because Russia actually found an international opponent to play f- a friendly <laughs> against. And that's, uh, that's very good news because the, the last international friendly was against the Army um, of Moscow at the Himki Arena. Glorious Himki. Built for scientists, not for football. Anyhow, Andrew, they're playing South Korea. On Saturday, I believe. And that's actually, you know, Hoang min Son is coming to town. That's going to be an interesting game.
2: Well, it is. I mean, South Korea, one of the top sides in Asia, and um, I actually think is a very sensible opponent. Because if you look at the friendlies that Russia have played over the last few months, you know, the likes of Romania, Costa Rica, and the Confederations Cup of as well, of course, Um you know, there's, Costa Rica was a good opponent to play. I thought. Um, you know, they're one of the strongest in the CONCACAF region, um, but they haven't really played um, any of the um, of the Asian Confederation. So, having South Korea coming up and then Iran later, uh, I actually think are two very strong opponents, but also useful to give a more rounded experience of the opponents that they may well be facing next summer. And that's the point of the international friendlies, not jutting off to the scientific region of Moscow to play Dynamo. Um, so, this actually might be a useful couple of friendlies for once, which is an unusual experience for us Russian football fans.
1: Yeah, I would go along with that. I, I wrote a preview for this game on uh, for FootballGrad.com and I, I think this is actually going to be a really interesting game. Not just because um Not just because of the the opponent. South Korea, I think, is actually a very good opponent. It's one of the top countries at, in the AFC. Uh, they, they struggled a little bit with qualification. Um, it didn't look too great for them at times, but they did manage to finish in one of those two top spots in their group, which means that they're through. And um I think that they're going to provide, A, a good challenge, and B, it's a country that is qualified for the World Cup. So they will be there. And I think that's, it's, it's going to be good for Stanislav Cichestov and his man to test themselves against this team, right, Tim? And uh, some really good call-ups, I think, as well. I mean, we saw some of these players against Dinam Dinamo Moscow, but Koka Rausch, for example, from Köln, uh, Mario Fernandes, um, who's finally, um, I think, eligible to play. He will probably feature as well and uh dala kusayev who from Zenit, who i think is actually the revelation of of the season um a lot of interesting new faces coming into the squad and uh, lastly anton uh, sabolotny of course from tosno uh, who we probably a lot of people don't know very much about so really interesting squad eh
3: yeah, it is. And I think this is actually probably one of the... You know, Cherchev is actually getting closer to the core of the players which will be featured in the World Cup. Uh, like uh, like you said, uh, with Dynamo game, we had a little bit of experimental lineup, obviously. And... With this one, I think he started to call enough people who he actually planning to use there. Of course, a couple of exceptions. I don't think Anton Zabalotny will make it to the final squad, but who knows? Maybe he will have the great rest of the year and he will be actually one of the best strikers in the country. Also, there's no Zuba, so there are still a couple of little questions, but in my opinion, those are the players who um, Stanislav Turchesev thinks will be the core of the team. And I agree, completely agree with you. Daler Kuzayev probably the best young player uh of the season and i'm so excited to see him and good luck he is in you um, probably the best young player right now
1: he's a fascinating player i mean it's um in a country that's that's been kind of deprived a little bit of talents all of a sudden when you when you look at the squad andrew um we got golovin we got miranchuk we got actually both miranchuk twins in the squad both are 21 mm. we got uh, kozayev um we got Polos, uh so Volotny, yes, they're a little bit older, they're both twenty-six. Um in defense we got your buddy Kutupov, um, And um and Chernov, 24. Yes, uh, and yes. Chikia 23. Um this is actually looking oh Ostoyev of course twenty-four. This is actually looking like a side that has the right age balance, which is something that has always been heavily criticized. But you you see you know, there's a couple of guys in here that are over 30. Sherko, for example, he's 34. Uh, Samidov is 33. Um, Tarasov is 30, although I don't think he's actually going to make the World Cup. And then, of course, Akinvi is 31. But um, the spine of the team is no longer made up of 35, 36-year-olds. And that's refreshing, isn't it, Andrew?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely it is. I mean, you know, we've we've picked apart um, Chichesov's reign so far and... On the on the whole, on balance, I've actually been pleased with how he's done, and this is the this is the best thing he's done, which is revitalise a squad that has been in desperate need of revitalisation for a long time. And like you say, it's that aged aged spine of the Beratutsky brothers and um, uh, Ignashevich at the back, in particular. Um, you know the likes of Igor Denisov, who I actually do think could. He could, on talent alone, forget the long-term future in the squad. But talent alone could be a contender for the World Cup squad. But I get the I get the distinct impression that Tichestov, um is not going to forgive him for calling him a clown um, <laughs> a fair few months ago. Um, and you know, I I agree with you. I think the squad is starting to look much more like a what could be a long-term squad. Um, it's been a small shame that it's taken over a year to get to this stage. But look, we are still we are still a few months out. There are still some friendlies to go. It's not much, but it's better than nothing. Um, I'll I'd, I'd pick up on one player, well, two players you mentioned there. Dalek Kozyaev, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think he's been fantastic. And I picked him out um, a month or two ago as a dark horse for the World Cup squad. And I, I'd say... I'd say at this point, I'd be very surprised if he didn't make the squad um, such as his form for what is, looks very much like being the, the champions elect. Um, and also, second player I'd mention is Anton, Anton Miranchuk. Now, I've long been a a critic of his elder, well, I say his older brother, his more famous brother, shall we say, his famous twin, Alexei, mm-hmm. for not being a consistent performer. But actually, I'd, I would say Alexei and Anton, have really stepped up to the plate for Lokomotiv this season. Mm. Um, They're both playing in a Champions League chasing squad um, with Lokomotiv in second place. So, yeah, really promising squad. I I think it's relatively well balanced. The experienced players are more or less the right ones. Um, So I actually think these two friendlies are very, very important for Russia as a measure of how far they've come.
1: Yeah, Dala, Dala Kusayev is for me. Uh, it's a fascinating player. Um, someone we're probably going to f- feature very soon on a, on a football grad article. Um, uh, born, of course, in Naberezhny Chelny in, in, the, in the, in the heart of Russia. And, um, but he played his most of his youth career. He was developed by Gasovic Orenburg. And um ate for Gassavik, our book, and then went to St. Petersburg Youth Systems and you know, Kolmaki, St. Petersburg, Sanit St. Petersburg, Locomotive St. Petersburg, Senit St. Petersburg. Really fascinating and then was kinda of sent on or out uh, to develop and um has really really done very well this year. And you know, Tim, this is this is something, you know, that's really kinda of surprised us, hey?
3: Yeah exactly like I'm I I I really like the two players which Andrew picked up because he picked up the players which are like I, in my also in my opinion a very big attention and interesting players and I also want to add one more player which is expected to come back is Roman Zobnin who plays for Spartak Obviously, you know, I'm obviously biased, but he's yeah. another, that young player who was really missed before the Confederations Cup. And look, guys, what's happening. Like, Russia's been known, like you say, for Berizutsky, Brothers and Ignashevich. Those are like the, you know, the good, uh, the front people of that team. Like, everybody knows that we had a very old uh, team and old defense. Right now, we have so many exciting young players coming up. Both Miranchuk's, mm-hmm. Dalyar Kuzaev. Raman Zobnin, uh, Djikia, those are young players. Uh, Kakorian and Smolov are still uh, so. Like it's it's such an exciting time for just for Russian football. There's so many Russian players, and as long as I've been very against the limit of the players, you start thinking maybe it actually does work. Who knows? What yeah. do you think?
1: <laughs> I, I don't think it matters, but I, I you know, I, I think it's funny. It's we have a very different mood about this team than we had when they crashed out against Mexico or even before that friendly against Dinamo. Now looking at the side, um it feels positive, doesn't it, Tim? I mean yes, you know, no that the the I I still I personally still against the limitation. I don't think it works. But on the other hand you see teams like Tosno, you know um Tosno are providing two players to the side um, Zabulotny and, um, Chernov, of course. And I, I think, um, they have done something fascinating. Of course, they're newly promoted. Um, they're, they're still in that relegation, uh, battle, but they have actually not underperformed. You know, when you look at the, the likes of Dinamo Moska, Anchi Makhachkala, and Skaha behind them, they were from striking distance of Tula, Kazan, Ufa, and they do it with, Lots of Russian players, and that is actually something that I find refreshing. It shows maybe you know it's not necessarily about the limit, but just to throw these Russian players in there. and I mean, Senate did the same with um Kozaev, right? um just Mancini basically gave him a chance and um just played the kid and it worked. So you know it shows you the talent has been there, and we know about all these academies and everything that that exists. Um these academies that exist all over Russia, and uh, the lack has always for me that that transition from the junior to the senior. and um we're kind of seeing that now, maybe just in time, maybe there is just in time um to still pull something off at the World Cup. Of course, I'm not talking about the title, but to be competitive at this tournament is which I think that's all that Russia really wants.
3: Yeah, exactly. The Russia wants a successful, a su- successful tournament for the country to be excited about the country, about the about the national team, about the event. And um, but uh, but also slightly follow up to what you've been saying about the all those young players and that the players actually from Tosna playing in the in, in national team. I think we should give a credit to Stanislav Chertsev, and maybe that's that's uh, the the side of his because he worked at a kind of second tier of Russian clubs, Amkar, Mm -hmm. he worked at Terek, so he knows that, you know, those players a little bit better. Before, when we had Dick Advocat, And in previous years, for some coaches, also that Goose Heatings, there was a criticism that they didn't really study the whole league. They picked the players from Spartak, CSKA, Zenit, Mm. Lokomotiv, top clubs. But now we see a coach who actually discovers the league, goes to see Arsenal play versus Tosno, and picks up a couple of players for the national team. So I think that's a good credit to Stanislav Tuches.
1: So you mean he actually scouts his player pool?
3: He does. (laughs) He actually goes to games, yeah
1: yeah that's that's that seems to be key, but i I agree that's something that has been lacking in the past and maybe the, the lack you know foreign foreign managers just don't get it um Andrew real quick, what do we expect from Iran in South Korea? um you know, I did the preview already for the first one, which is up on football grad, and um I had that one down to a two two draw but an exciting match. um What can we expect from Iran?
2: Well, Iran have actually got quite a few players based in Russia, haven't they? So mm. I'll be curious to see um, which ones uh, will actually play. Sardar Asmun is the, the obvious big name um, and he's now looking like he'll be pretty much nailed on for a starting place at club level with Rubin Kazan now that uh, Jonathan's left to um, the, Bund- the Bundesliga sorry, um, a few weeks ago. So, um, And also Saeed Ezra playing in I can't believe I'm saying this, but in one of the form sides in the league, Amkar Piem, so he's starting to get a bit of playing time. Um, And I know he's, I I believe he's suspended for the next competitive game. So whether he'll play in this one, I don't know. Um, But Iran have long been one of the, you know, one of the really, real big powerhouses of the Asian, um, of the Asian Confederation. But like I say, a few of their players have experience in Russia. So, for the Iran game, I would expect Russia to win. Um, it depends what message Chachetov is sending to his players now. Is it still predominantly, right, show me what you can do, put, your, put a marker down for the final squad, i.e. Um, going for performance over the results specifically, um, or is he going to think, right, I need to get some wins under my belt just to keep the confidence and faith in the team from supporters, from the media, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Um, it, it's very interesting to see what will happen. So I guess a draw against South Korea, ugh, I don't know. On paper, it's not a bad result. Um, I would hope for Russia to win both games. Um, but against Iran, I think they've got a slightly... I, I don't know. I Honestly, I, I really don't know. It's so hard to call. I would hope they would win, though. Um, and, you know, the balance between performance and results... Uh, I certainly want to see the players and like we mentioned these are players who are either likely to be in the squad or likely to be very close they should be motivated enough they shouldn't need any added motivation from their coach to tell them look this is a chance it should be fairly obvious Um, so I just think yeah like you mentioned the mood is more positive so hopefully the performance will follow Um, if I had to lay down a prediction for, for these two I think I see goals in for both teams in both games. Um I I'm going to go for a 2-1 to Russia in the Iran game.
1: Good result, good uh, good prediction there. And um you know I, as I said I'm I'm looking forward to this and then of course the the big ones the big one will be November 10th when they're opening the Lushniki stadium. And uh, sure. when everyone in Russia is crossing their fingers that Argentina will be the opponent. Argentina is the a scheduled opponent, but we don't actually know if Argentina will be able to play because they could be in the playoffs. Um, doesn't look too good. We'll have an article on all the uh qualifiers by Matt Hawkins on footballsidaja.com. Probably by the time this podcast comes out, but Argentina, you have, of course, uh, you're hoping they're making it right, Andrew, because you want to go and see it. So, um, we'll keep an eye on that. But another team um, in the football grand universe that's having two huge matches come up Tim, is Ukraine. You you brought us you brought ya from uh, from across the border. Um, wow, that Group I, I. I'm gonna just rattle that off real quick. Croatia first with 16 points, followed by Iceland with 16 points. Third, a Turkey with 14 points, and Ukraine at 14. Uh, fourth with 14 points. That's tight. That's really tight. We don't actually know who of those four teams will end up where at this point. Exciting, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it is, and this. and like um, I'm hoping that Ukraine will will make it. Exactly, like you know, it's it's. I have like I like Croatia. Iceland was has been a very exciting team, especially given their performance uh, against England and just like recent performance. Um, Ukraine, I'm excited about. Turkey also is an exciting team. So it's it's really it's really. Yeah, it's, 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 it's probably, is it the craziest group on, on the qualifying right now in Euro?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think this is the, I mean, I have to go through it again, but I'm pretty sure this is the only group where four teams, uh, can still end up in the top two position, took two positions and also still end up not making it at all. The only group that comes close is group E with Poland, Montenegro, Denmark. Poland on 19, Montenegro on 16, Denmark on 16. Um, yeah, it's when you when you scroll through it, it's the only one with four contenders left. So,
3: and, and I'm looking right now at the schedule. It's so exciting. October 6, Turkey versus Iceland, and then October 9, Ukraine, Croatia. So yeah. you have pretty much like you know like the one-on-one games. This is crazy exciting.
1: Yeah, it is exciting because it's basically like playoffs. Before the playoffs even start, we'll have playoffs and this. And um, Turkey and Iceland, of course, they're going to take points off each other on match day uh-huh. nine. In uh, they're playing at the new SKC here stadium in SKC. Um, that's going to be an exciting one. Uh, Ukraine are not in Kosovo than Albania because Ukraine are one of the countries that have not recognized Kosovo as a country. And therefore, um, the two countries cannot travel into, travel to each other, um, citizens of the two countries. So the first match took place in Poland. This match will take place at the Loro Boriszi Stadium in Szkodia in Albania. So just across the border. But at the same time, that's still going to be an interesting game, right? Andrew, I mean, Kosovo is such a new country and they're really just starting to get you know they they, they feed war on on international soil really um so th- this will be an opponent that ukraine should beat but at the same time should be wary about right
2: yeah i definitely i definitely would agree with you on on the second point in particular because you know when you when you think of a lot of the newest international sites i think of gibraltar for example um with their british connection and their they will be whipping boys for quite some considerable time, given their the size. But Kosovo, they, they, if you if you actually consider all of the players who have at least part Kosovo nationality over the last five ten years, you could put together a very very serious contender for the World Cup qualification. A lot of them now play for Switzerland. I think of mm-hmm. uh, Granite Jaka, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, there are other players like Bernard Berisha, play, who plays in Russia and has really impressed me for a long time. Um, uh, Valon Berisha, you know, these are these are players who are not just, you know, making up the numbers. Um, however, like you mentioned, they, they are a team that Ukraine have, have got to be looking to beat. Um, they've not won the entire campaign. And like you mentioned, with the turkey Iceland game, it means that Ukraine know if they win, then they're guaranteed to move up to at least third. Um, And then that last, oh God, that last round of fixtures, Ukraine at home to Croatia, that is just going to be absolutely huge, that game. Um, You know, Turkey playing Finland away, Yes, not, okay, they should be winning that one. Um, Iceland at home to Kosovo, you'd, you'd imagine is pretty much a guaranteed Iceland win, so they can't rely on ice and dropping points in the final weekend. Um, but yeah, for now, let's take the first game first. On, on Friday, that Kosovo game, they can wrap that up, um, get up to third, and then they know it is entirely in their hands to make at least second place. If results go their way, then perhaps they could even get that first spot. So um, yeah, I mean, Ukraine have got a lot, quite a lot of pressure riding on them, to be fair, um, mm. because... You know, there will be that pressure of well you should be beating Kosovo, but they're not they 're not a walk over side. yes, the statistics say they're win- they're, they they haven 't won at all, but um that doesn 't mean they're they're that bad of the side, so a lot of pressure on Ukraine, but I think they will have enough to do the job certainly on friday
1: yeah i I would go along with that, but at the same time am um, you know you do you do worry about that that mentality that we so often spoken about right um, the uh, what do you call it? This The Slavic melancholy that just hits at the wrong time and makes a sure thing uh fail. Um, and then you will probably see them get a draw on Kosovo and then a glorious match against Croatia where it all slips away at the last minute. It's all set up for it, isn't it?
3: You tell me, I just experienced that a few weeks ago against Maribor, a game which uh, was supposed to be won by a supposed to be better team, but ended up being 1-1. And exactly, this is, we have this uh, Russian national team had those stories when we tied or like lost to some opponents, which we should have not done it. So there's always that risk. And, I'm actually curious how is it going to be at that Albanian stadium for Kosovo? Like, I don't, it's probably close to Kosovo, so a lot of people can travel there and support will be there. But I think that might add, add an extra flavor to this game. And, um, yeah, Ukraine, like, I think Shevchenko said we have, like, I, think, I read, he said we have two finals and this is exactly how this, uh, the team should approach it. It's actual final. It doesn't matter. If we're playing with one of the worst teams right now in Europe. It's the final. It's, it's a must-win game. And if they take it to this approach, like, for example, the Germany side would, then they will be successful. If they take it as a relaxed, because it's all just Kosovo, then they will be in trouble.
1: Yeah. Although uh, Andrei Amolenko has taken the Bundesliga by storm, he's been in phenomenal form. And uh, he looks like a newly new player since he's joined Borussia Dortmund. He'll lead the charge. He's actually the top scorer in that group with five goals. So... Uh, I'm optimistic. I think that they, they're going to get that win against Kosovo. They're going to get a decisive win. And then, uh, big match at the Olympisky in Kiev. I've been to that stadium and I've been many times to that stadium. And that stadium will be full. There will be, you know, 75,000 people on that stadium and they will be roaring Ukraine forward. And, um, I, I can, I can see him do it, you know, get the two wins and go to Russia 2018 which would be a great story and maybe something that could help a little bit of reconciliation between the two countries and not all as well between Russia and Ukraine at the moment for various political reasons. And, uh, of course the conflict in the Donbass always overshadows everything. So it'd be good for them to be there. Um, notable, couple of noble things. Um, Malos, uh, received this Ukrainian citizenship, uh, Andrew, he's going to be a great addition. You know, he's of course part of that Shakhtar Donetsk side that, um, surprised, well, surprised, maybe Napoli, not us, but Napoli did quite well against Manchester City and England as well. And he's now a Ukrainian citizen. He's eligible to play for Ukraine. He's been called up to play for Ukraine. God, if we can see it, we will see him in both those matches and he can be a difference maker.
2: Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, there's uh, the, the discussion over naturalization of foreign-born players is is one that's, that's going to rattle on to the end of time. Yeah. But the fact is that Marlos knows Ukrainian soccer. You know, he's he's been in the country, knows players very well. And it's, you know, I, I I would say, I don't want to get too down the rabbit hole of what's right and what's wrong, but the fact that he's played in the country for a long time, um and he's clearly very excited about it it's an opportunity for him to play you know regular international football you'd expect he will be one of the um difference makers in the team so yeah i think um i, I think fair play you know it's not like you have gone around chasing um, just hoovering up as many Brazilians as they can purely for this purpose. The fact is, there are Brazilians playing, like we mentioned before, a number of times, particularly at uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, and they are integrated into the country. They they clearly love playing there. And, um, yeah, I think uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how he takes his place in the team. But um, it's certainly a boost for Ukraine and, uh, and a boost for Marlos personally as well.
1: Yeah, he will become the second Brazilian to play for Ukraine after Edmar, who, of course, um, lives in the country still. And uh, the story goes of that he was uh, got a rude wake-up call to citizenship when he was called up by the Ukrainian army to fight Russian separatists in the Donbass. Um, didn't, of course, not go through. Um, but, yeah, uh, Marlos will become the second Ukrainian. Uh, similar story to Edmar as well. Edmar, of course, married a Ukrainian Got citizenship, got a Ukrainian last name now as well. Um, which apparently you have to. If you have a Portuguese last name, your last name changes to, of course, the Ukrainian version of Cyrillic and then changes your name. So I guess Marlos did the same thing, fully naturalized, did it the right way. Five years in the country, learned the language integrated. I have no problem with that. If a person likes to do that, we live in a, in, on a planet where, um, migration is, is something quite normal. So good luck to him. But, boys, enough of this uh, World Cup World Cup madness. Um, we'll revisit all of this, of course, next week when we know the results and we know what's going to happen in Ukraine and we'll know what countries have qualified and what countries maybe have not qualified. Uh, Andrew, you are Argentina. You're probably crossing your fingers very badly for that. But oh, absolutely. Russian Football Premier League. Match day 12. Yes. Tim, Spartak, oh, yes. Spartak won a game. Uh, hooray. And it's actually I'm looking sorry. pretty good for Spartak. And this is, I'm going to you first because Spartak are sixth now in the league. You would say, well, that's not great. They won a the championship last year. That's not a good position. But actually it is because we are match day 12. still lots of football to be played and it's only four points to third place, Krasnodar, and a sandwich between Krasnodar and Schachter, um, a sandwich, Ceska, Moscow, and Ahmad Grozny, two teams that have not always shown consistency this season. And, and second spot are Lokomotiv, Moscow, and I want to go to them in a moment as well. But, um, this one win, good, good result against Liverpool, which we chatted about last week, and now this 2-0 win against Ural, uh, makes look thing, makes things look a lot better, doesn't it?
3: Absolutely. Uh, that was such a key game. And given the, what happens when the team comes back, then all teams come, come, come back from uh, the uh, international break. Spartak plays Ahmad because Ahmad and Spartak right now and 17 places. And then both teams are four points away from Krasnodar Tsayanska and those two play between each other. So what could happen? Spartak could really get to that uh, Champions League battle with the victory and correct result from Carstendarceska uh, game. So the next match day in terms of Europa League Champions League qualification is uh, very important in, at this point of the season. Uh, but going back to the Ural game, uh, Andrew, I'm sorry, but we were great. That was back, Spartak, that was all season. It was great. I really enjoyed the game. Yeah and yeah. <laughs>
2: I, 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 can't, I can't deny it. To be fair, the, the, the general theme of the last, I don't know, five, six, seven football grad pods has been um one of uh, well not not the customary success for Sparta, so I'm pleased for you, buddy. I am. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But um, you know, I I to be fair, look, I mean I'll 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 be favourable to Ural for for a moment here. To, to be I mean, Odell on paper, yes, Barca should be beating every day of the week. But Odell are a side that have only lost before this game once this season. Mm. They're full of confidence. They've got some of their best playmakers coming back, um, and the pressure on Carrera must be absolutely immense. Um, not necessarily because, like Manny mentioned, the league results are picking up. You know, there's, you know, you're back into European places. Um, but to yeah, to to wrap up after an exhausting European game against Liverpool to win two nils as a solid result. Um, and, you know, suddenly, suddenly life doesn't look too bad for you guys. You've got to be honest, you know, four points off Champions League places. Well, that's, that's, that's nothing. Um, Krasadar having a wobble, they lost the last two. Tisgar have got um, horrific injury to Pontus Wernblum and Alexander mm. Golovin. So, you know, there's two massive players out for them. On, on already, uh, Say again, Szym. And Zagórze as well. Well, I mean, it's, that's their midfield. He's always injured. <laughs> but, I mean, it's more. Yeah, it's, I was just about to say that's almost why I didn't. I didn't notice straight away. I just decided. You make wasn't. the
1: news. Come on.
2: <laughs> but I mean, you know, you take all that into context. Those are the two teams above Spartak, so they are. They're very likely to. Um, to to not win the next all of the next three or four games and this Spartak can put a few results together um, beat Akhmat after the international break would be a huge result and then suddenly you'd almost say well what was the fuss in the first place but um yeah i mean for, for me personally as an Ural Ural fan i'm still really happy we're still only one point behind European places and that's it's not a realistic target for the end of a season um, we have only won three games all season so far but um yeah I, at this point of the season 12 games in comfortably mid table I'm happy with Ural's performance so far um and I'm pleased for you buddy as well so you know win-win I'd say
1: yeah but I, we you. do need to talk about a little bit about this match before we move on because there's a few things that's then stood out for me and um Watching this game and then afterwards going over the statistics. Um, it's funny actually, because I just did a finish a part where I said ball possession doesn't seem to matter very much anymore because Tim and you and I, we've watched a lot of matches where ball possession didn't seem to matter. Well, Spartak had 56% ball possession and 1 to 0. But I think the, the stats that really show how good Spartak were on, on this game in particular is the 19 to 9 shots um, seven to two shots on target. That's, that's very strong shots inside the box was 12 to four. Now, (laughs) the passes, (laughs) 492 passes as opposed to 386. Uh, that's solid 83% pass completion. And it did that. And this is, this is another thing that stood out to me. They did this without Quincy promise. And, um, You know, in a formation that we haven't seen in a while, uh, Carrera used uh, 4-2-3-1 in this formation rather than, you know, the three in the back. And maybe that's that was one of the key things to get just more stability, have his players play in a formation that they felt more comfortable of. And Fernando was outstanding in this game.
3: Yeah, that was probably the best, again, Fernando's match uh, this season. And like I've been saying in the previous spots, to me, that uh, the, f- the loss of form of uh, the whole uh, team Spartak is the loss of form of Fernando, because to me, he might be not the best Spartak's player, but he's definitely the most important, because he, pre- he distributes mm-hmm. the ball. So he had a good game, the whole team had a good game. But uh, I also, like you said, different formation, different lineup. I was texting with my dad uh, before the game, and he he pretty much when he saw the lineup, he texted me and he said, "The people who are playing probably this is the only alive people we have who people who could play because everyone else is injured. Those are like mm-hmm. the the leftover, and then we had the full bench of youngsters on the bench. So it's it's really pretty much the um, the players who were fit to play, and that's why that is a, such an important result because we really like you both said we got close to the Champions League, and now there's two weeks." Of break when we can recover from the little injuries, from the muscle injuries, and actually have that break and, you know, have this stop of playing because we played a lot of football in the past few weeks and actually recover and be a, a stronger team co- going to the final part of the season.
1: What's the ETA on uh, Quincy Promise, Tim?
3: He should be he should be ready for the for the Ahmed game.
1: Yeah, because I did the preview for the Netherlands Belarus game and. He's not in the squad, so I figured it would be quite some time until he comes back. But it's good news that he will be back uh, playing because he fantastic talent he is. Um, but enough on what actually happened on the field. And um, we want to get into something nitty-gritty um, later on in the pod. But before we do this, something to laugh about. Andrew uh, Ural, the new pictures of the stadium were released. And this caused quite a storm because... The two main stands that they're building for the World Cup are outside the stadium, which doesn't make it exactly look architecturally pleasing. But there is a very good reason why this is being done. And it's actually, when you look into it into more detail, it's very smart that they did it that way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I for a long time have just really scratched my head at how... You know, the obsession with building for every World Cup of building the most glorious, wonderful stadia um, for the sake of effectively, in what is in most cases, for three or four games, and then after that they become completely wasted, empty venues. It's just, I find it entirely irresponsible. I find it absolutely maddening. Um, now, these pictures of the Centralny Stadium in Jakarta, of course, everybody starts laughing and saying, Oh, that looks ridiculous. But I'll be quite I'll be perfectly honest with you. The the view other than the very, very top of the temporary stands. And even from there, you can see the whole pitch, but you can't quite see the far end of the other stands, which I think is an important part. You know, you want to get the atmosphere off the ground. Um, I, I honestly can't understand why people are being so blinkered about it. Are people really that obsessed with how something looks for three or four games Well, four games sorry four games they'll be hosted there um after this after the tournament, the capacity will go down to twenty three thousand, which is a very very sensible um amount and the basically the sole reason why it looks like this is because it will be very simple to um to disassemble and reconstruct a completed twenty three thousand capacity stadium afterwards. And that surely should be a, one of the main legacies of a World Cup tournament, should be what is left behind. Now, what's left behind will be, firstly, a stadium with a sensible capacity. Odal um, won't sell out 23,000, but they will do for the likes of Spartak and Zanit when they come to town. But there's a second issue that other people have also forgotten, um, and that is that the facade of the Centralny Stadium is actually a listed building um and when people come to the world cup they will see that part of the main stand from the outside will be will be on display now that's also affected the designs that the architects have been able to implement um so you know all in all the you know the the laughter about these stands um reaching behind what will be the the final stadium i think it's a little bit short sighted if i'm mm. honest um, because the, the legacy for this stadium in particular is going to be a very sensible one. Um, so I, I actually, for one, I'm, I'm very pleased to see this design. It's sensible. The cost will be lower through reconstruction and the legacy of the World Cup will be maintained.
1: Yeah. I don't think I, you know, my, my opinion on that is quite clear. We, I think Russia can only lose. Um, on the one hand, the entire world will complain about white elephants. And then they're building a stadium that, you know, will actually have in mind Ural's average capacity for regular Russian football Premier League games, which is, you know, a 23,000 stadium is what the club needs. They don't need a 35,000 seats. They need one for 23,000 seats. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's a joke as well. So I think um the English media, of course, jumped on this. Few Twitter accounts jumped in this. The comments that were underneath, um, disrespectful, I would say. But, you know, um, it's, it's just the way it it has been in the press and the view this World Cup got. But I think, you know, honestly, that is a right decision. You know, you build a stadium so it can be used after what? Because we, I, I've seen the stadiums in South Africa, what they look like. And I've been to Brazil and, um, Brazil is an absolute disaster now after the World Cup and we don't want the same thing to happen in uh, in Russia, so I think this is this is a good idea, uh, personally, and uh, something that we will follow up as a story on footballgrad.com. But boys, the big nitty gritty topic, transfermarkt.de, uh, the the geek side of all football lovers, the biggest database on the planet, the the page that knows everything about every transfer value of every player, all the way down to the seventh division. In, uh, Patagonia, they released their, their transfer values for the Russian football Premier League. And what has been a horror show in the, in the last few years, um, as in, you know, transfer values going down for players. This has been a good one for the Russian football Premier League. 82 players had their transfer value adjusted and 62 players had their transfer value increased. Um, that's good. That's very good numbers. Um, given, you know, that this is, I think, the first time that the average actually went back up in the Russian football Premier League. Now, um, Tim, that's, I, when I look at these numbers and we'll, we'll go through some of these numbers real quick in a moment, that shows you Russian, that the Russian football Premier League, and this is correlates to what we just saw with the national team is, is doing well. It's a healthy league at the moment
3: i think so i think it's uh, that just confirms that russia would be probably one of top seven seven leagues in europe uh, maybe eight leagues along with uh, top five plus netherlands Turkey, and russia and that just confirms that uh, yeah like we, we we it's an interesting league um the only downside really in this league for me is the the, the attendance of the games mm. but in terms of uh, in terms of drama it's 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 very tight like you you watch like the the top bottom 8 and everyone is fighting like a couple of years a massive club dynamo got relegated there's always like a fight for champions league europa league it's a very tight league it's very hard league to Uh, You know, to be successful in. And that just shows, you know, like the obviously like the influx of Argentinian players this year in in Zenit obviously increased the the value because um, also what we discussed in the very beginning of the pod a lot of young players who are progressing, who are getting the playing time. Also, that shows that. You know that the league is growing, and yeah, it's it's maybe we uh, this league doesn't have those stars like we had at the war Roberto Carlos in the past, but maybe the overall uh, level is getting more equal.
1: Yeah, and that's that's something interesting you point out, and there, there's a couple guys in there that um, increased the value quite a lot. I mean, Alexander Kokorin, he is a guy that had this. His, I mean, his highest transfer value was. You know, was in, uh, in the 90 million euro range, um, a few years ago. And when he still played the Dynamo Moscow, uh, it dropped significantly because his performances weren't there. And I mean, significantly all the way down to five million. Now he's made a step up, um, from five million to 7.5. One of the reasons why, um, the, the agents at, uh, Transfermarkt and the people that, that pour into the data, value him a little lower, um, now than when he played at Dinamo Moscow. It's not just performances, but it's, it's, Sinit is not a club that will sell, right? So it's, 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 it's hard to put the value on it. But still, that's, that's really encouraging, Andrew. I know you, um, someone who likes, Anna, Alexander Kokorin and a 50% increase in transfer value. That's good
2: yeah absolutely and fully deserved uh, in my view, because you know we he 's hitting form at a brilliant time for club and country. you know this is you know Zanit, don't don 't take a lack of silverware lightly, and um, he 's really stepped up to the plate this season, and a lot of the criticism has been for him as as usually centered around his mentality, you know whether he 's got the right frame of mind and i 've always thought that that 's a little bit of a lazy criticism because. You know, the pressure on a guy like this with as much talent as he's had for so long, um, you know, such a young age, he's um, it's shown, I, I think it's shown phenomenal strength of character for him to get back to the form that he's in this season. Um, I mean, he's already scored way into double figures this season in all competitions. And his value um, going up to 7.5 is, I think I think it will go up again the next time the ratings um, Are changed because, quite honestly, he's um, he's been uh, him alongside uh, Dalio Kuzaev has been for me the the standout player for Zanit. and that's in Zanit's squad, which you know has been as full of new new talent and already has some outstanding players. So I'm delighted for Kokorin, but I'm also delighted for the league, like you guys have alluded to already. You know the fact that the yes, the overall standard of the league is is not. It's not world class, um, but there is a lot of talent in the league that doesn't get the credit it's it's due. So I'm really pleased for, for coin to get at least well recognition in this way. Um, but I expect his value to continue increasing, um, and long may it continue.
1: Yeah, and uh, one thing that stood out for me in this um, Tim and Andrew is the the locomotive players. You know, Alexei Miranchuk, his value went up to seven point five million. Uh, Quick Villia, his value went up to 4.5. And then there's Manuel Fernandez, Tim. He's, his transfer value went from 500,000 to 4 million. Whew. That's, uh, that's quite a lot. And, uh, you know, he has been, uh, he has been one of those, uh, very key players for Locomotive and Locomotive having a fantastic year. And um really resurgent, um you, you know a few few weeks ago we got Al Moore on who, who knows the setup at at Locomotive quite well with the, the German sporting director. And Eric Stoffelshaus he, you can see his work at locomotive um and the adjustments made at the club, can you not?
3: I would also add uh, Yuri Sturman's work. Yes, uh, absolutely. Because- so uh, as um, he's been criticized, and sometimes, for example, one of the biggest uh, Russian journalists, Vasily Utkin, he always criticizes him, and he says that he is an old—he actually called him "old man," old coach, out of day, de- outdated. Um, uh, and he says, "Yes, he was a good coach, but not anymore." Uh, you can kind of not be sure if if Vasily Utkin is, is honest because he has a relationship with previous management of Lokomotiv who had conflict with Sherman, but still, those opinions are around, and to me, this is just a, a, a perfect example how an experienced uh, coach can deliver results in the right environment. Um, there are rumors that there are still conflicts between him and, and the management of the club, but regardless of that, he delivers devel- results, and he, and he also adds, um, the players are developing. He gave chances to both Mirančuk's uh, you can see that how Mario Fernandes, who was pretty much on strike with the mm. previous uh, management, now is the best player and, and scores the the fastest hat-tricks in the Europa League. So you can see that there are some players that are getting better and to me, this is one of the most important uh, role of a coach to make a player better.
1: Yeah, Solomon Kvickvelya is another man, one for me because he struggled a little bit at Ruben and uh, now went to um, Lokomotiv and Really is resurrecting his career there. And, you know, that's, that's just a sign for me that the coach knows what he's doing. And I mean, the obvious sign is, is the standings. We're now 12 matches into the Russian football premier league. And uh, that's usually around when you can sort of see, uh, where, where it's going. Right. And, um, they're second two points behind Senate and Senate spent a lot of money this year. And, you know, they're keeping pace with them. That is impressive because locomotive did not spend a lot of money at all, and um, they went into this transfer window spending very little money, and coming out of the you know now in this evaluation are uh, one of the big financial winners, and that's hard to argue with. I, I don't know if it's Semin that all does all the work or Stoffels House. Um, we'll probably try to get Stoffels House on this part at some point to do to, to tell us maybe give us a secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'd be fantastic. But I think, you know, Andrew locomotive and I, I, we have to put an asterisk on it because locomotive have started well in the season before and then dropped off, but this, they're looking good. And, uh, you know, it's not just the, the transfer evaluations, but it's also just the fact that they're, they're good in the standings.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, I have to admit, I didn't see this starts lasting as long as it has. Um, you know like you mentioned they haven't made a huge amount of of transfer dealings um over the summer and they have don't forget they've lost their captain Vedran Choluca to a long term injury um earlier this year so um yeah it's been it's been fascinating to watch for me like i say to watch both Maranchuk brothers Anton Maranchuk, playing um as often and as well as he has you know, I've always thought that Alexei Miranjic has been a golden boy of young Russian football for, you know, at least the last couple of years, maybe longer. Um, and for his brother, for his twin brother, Anton, he's permanently going to be in his brother's shadow. And yet he's still, he's not going to surpass Alexei in ability per se, but he's, he's held his own and been a creative force for, for locomotive. Um, Yeah, the the resurrection of a career of any player is always a beautiful thing to see. And Manuel Fernandes, I remember watching him when he joined Portsmouth in the English Premier League. And I thought he was a fantastically talented player then. Um, It never quite worked out for him in England long term anyway. Um, And then when he joined Lokomotiv, I thought, oh, that's a great signing. And then, of course, like, uh, like Tim mentions, he didn't. He didn't respond well, shall we say, to previous managements and he's just been absolutely brilliant for the last last 12 months, 18 months. So to see that is is wonderful too. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got to give full credit to the backroom staff for this mm-hmm. because like you say, if you haven't massively changed the playing personnel, then the preparation of who already is in the squad is obviously key to their resurgence. So... Um, yeah, they, they may not hang on to Champions League football, but they're giving themselves a very good account. Um, five points clear of, of Krasnodar in third. So, um, who knows? We may, may well see the, the shock of all shocks and locomotive sneaking into a Champions League next year.
1: No, we'll keep a close eye on that. We mentioned some players, um, increase their value, among them Vitinho and Petro Rocha. Uh, Vitinho, of course, Moscow, for he went from 5 to 6.5 million. I personally think very much deserved. He, there were some question marks when he was brought back, uh, from his loan deal at, at Grêmio, And, uh, oh, sorry, actually international. And, um, he seems to finally, um, hit the ground running and, um, doing very well this year. So he had a 30% increase. Your boy, Petro Rocha, Tim, from Spartak. Yes. Yes, uh, 300% uh, transfer value increase from 1.5 to 6 million euros. That's solid. Very strong. And I mean, justified. Of course, they, they paid a lot of money for him. Uh, by the way, I heard today the Luan deal is back on the table. So something that we can see over Christmas, maybe. So he might, yeah. he might join his buddy Pedro Rocha sooner rather than later. Something to keep an eye on. I think Pedro Rocha is a, is a great addition and he, he's, he's hit, hit the ground running as well and young, exciting player and, uh, it would be cool to see him line up with, uh, Luan. But where there is winners, there is losers and, uh, Serda Tusky, uh, another devaluation for him, former German national team player and had a loan move to Bayern the season before last which did not quite work out very well seemed to be back in in you know in the favor of Massimo Carrera used him quite a bit but uh, his stock seems to be falling tim
3: well i think uh, see going back to those transfer market devaluations i think that's the value of his contract and uh, his age mm. because he is one of the highest paid players on Spartak so in order for him to go somewhere, you need to offer him money, like good money, as I understand. And he's been linked numerous times with links to Turkish club because he, had, he has that connection. Um, but obviously, he's uh, he's done his uh, knee ligament. How many? It was two times, maybe three times. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a problem for him. So obviously, as an aging central defender after a couple of uh, serious injuries on a big contract... You see him, his value going down.
1: Yeah, that's that's one I keep on. And Andrew Artem Chuba, uh, my favorite striker in Russian football. The, per, the perpetual offside machine, as I like to call him. His value seems to be dropping. He's been used a few more times by Mancini. But I, I think, personally, I think he doesn't fit that system. Uh, Druzy is a better player for that system. As is Kokorin. Um, are we seeing a swan song for Artem Zuber at Senate?
2: Well, I I actually expected him to, to leave possibly on loan at the end of the transfer window. I was surprised he stayed. And to be fair, like you mentioned, Mancini has has played him a little bit more. Um, but I get the feeling that he's not the first-choice striker. He might be used for for rotation, for Europa League, for, um, for cup games even. And I, uh, just long term, I don't see him in this squad because the thing is, beginning of the season, when Roberto Mancini arrived under great fanfare, my first question was rather cynically, how long is Mancini likely to stay? He's quite a headstrong character and if things don't go his way, if if his dealings are meddled with, will he say, right, that's it, I've had enough, I'm off? Um, in which case, you never know the new manager coming into to place, Mancini would might see some value in Juba. However, after what we've seen so far, I think Mancini is likely to stay for a while. I think he's going to win the title of the season and that will give him direct Champions League football and he will like a challenge of getting as much success in Europe as possible. So, for Juba himself, what this means, I think long-term, I don't think he's likely to stay. Whether Mancini is able to persuade him, look, you're still an important part of the squad... Um, will he accept that? I don't know. But then you've got to think, if he doesn't stay at Zenit, where will he go? Um, mm. I mean, he's not going to go to Siska. They don't have the money. It's as simple as that. Locomotive possibly might find a place for him. Um, you know, Eder is only on loan this season, so next summer they'd need a target man. Um, Ari has got his injury problems and is in his 30s already. So possibly Lokomotiv Moscow might be an option. Um, Spartak, I don't see signing him, um, just simply no. because, no, similar there's reasons. No,
1: there's no way back to Spartak.
2: No, um, no way. Yeah, his, his time there, yeah, his his, um, his reception after joining Zanit was hardly uh, a cordial one, shall we say. So, <laughs> I mean, where else would he go? Um, would he <clears> leave <throat> Russia? Um, possibly, but again, I've not heard really any noise at all the last two years for. Foreign clubs interested in him, so I think he'll stay and I think he will probably become a squad player, not a first choice player. That's what I see long term for him. Um, so yeah, we'll have to wait and see though.
1: Tim, real quick is the fact that Juba, We we have not very much time left, but it's the fact that Juba is not playing very much for Senate anymore, a blessing in disguise for the Russian national team, yes. You got it. <laughs> I, I think we both know why. Uh, I, I personally think it is because I think Zuba, if he scores lots of goals uh, in the Russian Football Premier League, he will play. And I don't think he should play for Russia. I think you know Smolov, Kokorin, all these guys are better just better starters. But uh, I'm glad you agree with me, Tim. I, <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, Zuba, he's he's had his chance at the last Euro, and just purely. Judging by form, Kakodin and Smollify are in better form right now. It's the question how you'll put them on the, on, the, on the field. But, uh, if you take it right now, Zuba is in the, the worse form than those two. So, yeah, and you can end. play
1: Alexei Miranchuk up top as well. Exactly. You know, so I, I, and they're all better players, especially for that 3-5-2 system. Anyways, guys, we're, we're, I'm sad to be out of time. Fascinating discussion. and I think we, this is something that we can maybe carry across when we come back from this international break um boys andrew international break as we mentioned uh we have all the previews coming some of them are already up on footballgrad. one of them the german game is up on what are you up to this week um can we see any previews from you
2: um yeah, I'll be doing the I'll do the Russia Iran preview and I'll preview the England game as well. Um as an Englishman, of course, I want to see us qualify and um a win in the game against Lithuania will secure that. Um, so I just I'll be honest, I really am excited about this international break, which is a bit of a novelty um for England, for you know, seeing the Russia friendlies and I'll be writing those previews. Um so yeah, more previews for me this week.
1: Yeah, how about you, Tim? What are you up to?
3: Yeah, I'm actually very excited for this break. I like those playoff type of games yes. when it's like do or die. And this, uh, weekend of football is full of those games. So like Ukraine, we mentioned a couple of like, obviously I'll be watching Russia friendlies and it's just an exciting, uh, weekend of national football. Uh, I, you know, and this is, this is one
1: of the things, uh, a lot of people don't like the international break. And I don't like that first break. That's right at the start of the, the Bundesliga season for the, the obvious reasons. I think it breaks it up too much. Uh, this one is going to be exciting we're going to finally learn um a whole bunch of nations are going to qualify for russia 2018 Uh and that's of course you know for us um is is the main event you know some of us when football grad started back in 2013 the long-term plan was to work towards russia 2018 to become established as as a big side and we're so close now, you know. I can feel the tournament. Uh, I we're just a couple months ago we were at Russia 2017 for the Confederation Cup, so I can feel, I can sense it, and there's a real sense of excitement um with these countries slowly but surely all qualifying. So I'm excited for this week, and I'm going to keep a close eye on all the standings, and then you'll you'll get all the updates on footballgrad.com, and then we'll we'll do a real big recap and welcoming some of the countries that we can. Um, watch next summer, of course, on next week's show. Well, until then, um, if, if you enjoy what we're doing, or you have any feedback, criticism, et cetera, of course, reach out to us on our Twitter account at footballgradlife. Um, we're also on iTunes. Um, uh, so go check us out there. Please leave a review if, if you enjoy what you hear. Um, we're on Facebook, footballgrad, and on Instagram, also at sfootballgrad. Well, that's it from me. I was your host, Manuel Beff. Until next week, do svidaniya.
4: Want natural, healthy-looking shine and voluminous curls and waves that make you look like you just stepped out of a salon? It's easy with Conair Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers. These 12 ceramic-flocked rollers heat up in just 85 seconds. And because they're infused with ceramic, they transfer heat evenly for big, bouncy, long-lasting curls. Twice the flocking of competitive products means more heat protection. Wire clips ensure a secure hold. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to conair.com for jumbo and super jumbo hot rollers now.
0: It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right?
4: Imagine if you could dry, detangle, style, and volumize your hair all in one step. Well, it's easy with the Knot Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush by Conair. Create beautiful blowout styles at home with a powerful 1000 watt motor for quick drying and easy glide flexalite bristles for snag-free detangling. Customize styling with three heat settings and use the cool shot to lock in your look. Ionic technology reduces frizz. Bonus attachment volumizes your hair. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to conair.com for the Not Dr. All-in-One Dryer Brush now.
2: Thank you for listening to Believe.